to the PFC Podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Hello, I'm Jay Baker, currently serving as a 520th Brigade Surgeon. Today I'm going to discuss a topic I've been working on since arriving at my current position, which is soft surgical support. A couple of caveats to begin. I'm an emergency physician. I trained at L.A. County, and I'm not an operating surgeon. Most of my operational experience is conventional, initially with 3rd ACR in OIF-3 and with the 173rd Airborne in OEF 10 I deployed with J. Sotif P. in 2015 for my first SOF experience, and now I'm with the 528th Sustainment Brigade in 1st Special Forces Command. My SOF experience is limited, admittedly, and I am definitely not a Green Beret. The reason I introduce myself with these caveats is not to undermine my presentation, but to present this topic honestly in the hopes of inviting discussions, discussion about the future of soft surgical support and to invite the best minds to continue to work on soft surgery's always evolving problem set. So I'm not going to give a presentation that describes or details the handful of several different soft surgery teams currently or previously in existence, such as the Air Force SOST, the Erst, the Ghost, or what have you. Instead, you'll see by my objectives that I'm going to present briefly about the different types of missions that soft surgical teams might be called upon to support. I'll compare the differences in experience between two major mission themes, and I'll attempt to describe the gap that exists in our institutional experience for surgical support in the setting of unconventional warfare. To begin for orientation, and this is probably something that most of the listeners of this podcast are well familiar with, this slide shows the range of missions that Special Operations Forces are asked to conduct according to JP 3-05 Special Operations. These are the doctrinal soft core activities. This is the domain of irregular warfare, more or less. This slide presents the overall mission set of irregular warfare visually with an abbreviated division of soft core activities according to support given to friendly nation states on the right versus support given to insurgencies and the like against hostile nation states on the left. Nearly all the collective experience in providing surgical support to soft missions in the global war on terror for the last 15 years of conflict is for the missions on the right. The trauma care delivered on the battlefield in this setting is mainly short duration from point of injury with rapid stabilization of casualties and near immediate evacuation to at least adequately staffed and supported battlefield surgical teams, if not to robust, well-developed battlefield trauma systems. Although there are still challenges and certainly room for improvement, we've gotten really good at this kind of surgical support. That's not what this presentation is about. So what about unconventional warfare on the left? RSOF 2022 says, the most critical of an RSOF special warfare capability is in the UW mission set and our ability to conduct UW in denied areas for extended periods of time. So, should we be should we be scared or worried? And what does soft surgical support for the UW mission look like? Some leaders think the next war will be much different from our experience in GWAT. This slide is taken from an open source website. It shows the array of anti-air defenses in Eastern Europe both Russian and NATO. What if the next war is with a pure competitor and we don't enjoy the air dominance we've taken for granted for the last 15 years? 
What if there aren't battlefield trauma systems in golden hour evacuations? One way of depicting the challenge of UW surgical support is represented in this graphic. How does a combatant commander prepare for and respond to a situation in which a U.S. soldier is hurt in a non-permissive air-denied location? How do we prepare and respond to soft missions in a much different environment that we become used to and currently aren't postured to respond to? Fortunately, there's some experience we can turn to for guidance. To begin, Colonel retired Rocky Farr recently wrote this excellent review of surgical support to soft missions in the UW environment largely throughout the 20th century. And all the scant, there's literature both in books and journals largely written by surgeons who supported guerrilla movements in France and Yugoslavia in World War II. Among others, Jeffrey Parker, Lindsay Rogers, and Colin Defoe were general surgeons who provided support to Nazi resistors in a UW environment. All three were courageous and adventurous individuals. They were whip-smart, brave to fault, and driven to provide excellent surgical care in dangerous and challenging environments. Like Soft today, these men were selected due to their training and experience, mental resilience, and high state of physical fitness to support special operations behind enemy lines. These surgeons were inserted behind Nazi lines via night parachute airdrops, sometimes with additional medical personnel, although never another surgeon, and sometimes alone. Sometimes they pushed canisters of medical supplies out by parachute to establish their initial op medical operations. Sometimes they jumped only with the ruck on their backs. They were innovative in the ways they established and provided medical support in very austere environments. For example, Colin Defoe built hospitals and operating suites out of parachute canopies, hence the parachute ward. Resupply was even more limited, and they were forced to adapt in the face of incredible austerity, such as turning again to their parachutes, unraveling its silk fibers to create suture material for repairing war wounds. At times, depending on the tactical and operational situation, these surgeons were busy operating, although not generally in the sense that our GWAT surgeons have become accustomed. Casualties were brought to them by the ones and twos and sometimes by the scores. They performed laparotomies and thoracotomies, to be sure, but the majority of their operations were wound debridements, amputations, and delayed closures, generally many hours and even many days after traumatic injury. Their patients were primarily partisan fighters and civilians supported by the Allies, including the Maquis of rural France and Tito's communist partisans of Croatia and Serbia. To a man, they all defended the patients they cared for against the aggression of the enemy. Each man bugged out under the most critical of situations, going to ground under direct enemy threat and abandoning the underground hospitals and operating theaters they had built. They lived and operated with the forces they supported and fought and fled under the most dangerous circumstances. These men's service was critical for lifting and supporting morale of the supported forces, which ultimately overcame a brutal and ruthless enemy, and they were regarded as heroes by the soldiers and civilians they served. They were awarded the highest national awards for their service, such as the Quad Guerre for Parker, the Order of Bravery and Order of Honor from Yugoslavia for Rogers, and the Order of Service to the People, the Medal of Victory, and the Order of Merit also from Yugoslavia for Defoe. Admittedly, medicine and military technology have made quantum leaps since World War II, and the battlefield is significantly different. But where else can we turn to for lessons? And what do we do with the literature on UW surgical support? This table briefly summarizes my own review of the published literature and doctrine from both the GWAT experience in the middle column and the UW experience in the right column. What are the key principles from both that we need to carry forward into the future? 
The bold print here highlights where I think lessons learned can inform soft surgical support going forward. We've grown a comfortable splitting FSTs and conducting ghost missions. The UW mission set is likely to demand, to demand even smaller team sizes, the smallest possible, and we need to train for this. We need to continue to focus on high levels of medical and tactical proficiency and emphasize high levels of physical fitness and mental resilience. We need to plan to care not only for U.S. forces, but also to assist the guerrilla fighters and populations of our allies who help defend U.S. interests. We're doing this now in spades. We need to plan long missions with limited or denied air support and practice tactical evacuation in truly austere settings. We need to be experts at DCR and DCS and to master the existing CPGs to be sure. But surgeons may need to perform evacuation and nursing care themselves and to be prepared for a broader range of surgical cases than they've grown accustomed to on the battlefield recently. They may need to care for our patients beginning with damage control surgery through critical care to recovery and convalescence, perhaps in a number of dispersed locations across a relatively non-permissive battlefield. We're learning to scale our equipment loads as demonstrated in an article in this quarter's JSOM and to adapt our pack out to the ruck truck and house models. We need to figure out what exactly is the bare minimum for equipping and trained to do more with less. Resupply in the UW environment is an especially vexing problem. The surgeons in World War II improvised locally, raided enemy hospitals, and lived by parachute resupply. What other options can we develop? For example, can 3D printers make the surgical instruments we need far forward? And can they print pharmaceuticals we need as well? The bottom line with this table is there are lessons learned across many decades that we must turn to as we prepare to provide surgical support across a full range of soft core activities and fill the gaps. We need to think hard about how to provide surgical support in more difficult environments than we've grown accustomed to. We don't know what the next fight is going to look like exactly, but the classic fallacy through U.S. military history has been to prepare for the last war, not the next war. And what about this one? Are we prepared to provide soft surgical support in a seaburn environment? And are we really ready to take surgery wherever SOF operates? One effort that's gained traction in recent years is the growing grassroots initiative of prolonged field care, where this podcast is being recorded. PFC began as a response to the prolonged evacuation times faced by 18 deltas in Africa in the last several years, and not necessarily for implementing soft surgical support in that environment. However, it represents important recognition that the highly mature GWAT theater is far from the only domain of SOF. Other forward-leaning actions in the last year include the newly developed UW Medical Enablers course initially conducted by the Sockier Surgeon's Office in October 2017 and the Austere Surgical Teams Working Group, a subcommittee of the Committee on Surgical Combat Casualty Care, which is currently developing guidelines for small surgical teams across a variety of mission types. The 528th is currently working to stand up the first long-promised RSOF surgical teams within 1st Special Forces Command. A force design update submitted in 2016 is pending publication by the Pentagon very shortly. It may even be published by the time this podcast is, uh, is out there. We anticipate building two RSOF forward resuscitative surgical teams beginning next summer in 2018 and deploying them as separate units of action of 10 
personnel each similar in size and composition to MedCom ERSTs of the last several years. This slide represents our current concept for scalability of this forthcoming surgical asset with estimates of initial capabilities detailed below each team model. In addition to the doctoral surgical and resuscitative teams from ST4-02.25 for resuscitative surgical teams, we've imagined a soft surgical team model that can be employed down to the smallest team element possible depending on mission requirements. This model enables RSOF surgical teams to be responsive and adaptable in the relatively enabling environment of GWAT, where software will remain engaged for the foreseeable future. It also begins to prepare for the more challenging mission set of providing soft surgical support in the UW environment. Our training will include emphasis on interoperability with other soft elements and survivability in austere environments. Our teams will train and provide damage control resuscitation and surgery in accordance with the JTSCPGs and other best practices. Beyond this, we will need to expand our training and experience to caring for critical patients over longer periods of time and to perform time and labor-intensive tactical evacuations while providing high-quality, innovative care in challenging settings with limited supplies and to develop innovative solutions to resupply challenges. In addition to tactical proficiency and a scalable solution to manning requirements, across the full range of soft core activities, we intend to raise our clinical game by establishing a training environment that will provide the best medical care on the battlefield. A key point of our plan to raise the bar for soft surgical support is to embed our physicians and nurses at Grady Hospital in Atlanta and Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte in accordance with the requirements of NDAA 2017. We've begun working with the AMED CivMil Trauma Team Training Task Force in order to accomplish this this coming summer. In summary, soft core activities are far greater than our recent collective experience of the last 15 years. We must do more to prepare to provide surgical support to the broader range of soft core activities encompassing irregular warfare. Second, there is at least some literature and experience that we can turn to to begin our preparations. This has begun. I would re recommend anyone who is interested in this problem set to read Colonel Retired Farr's excellent report which is free for download on the internet. I am also happy to send you a PDF if you contact me. Last, we're getting after this concept and problem set in the 528th. Coming experiences will test, prove, and maybe break our concepts, and certainly new concepts will follow. This is always the way of the American military, and no less the way of soft medicine. If this interests anyone, please contact me if you'd like to discuss these ideas, or to learn more if you're interested in joining our organization next summer or at some time in the future. That's all I have. Thank you very much. What, I guess, what kind of qualifications are you looking for other than a physician or anesthetist or? Right. So, um, so the FRST uh, Manning is going to uh, begin in the surgical teams with the general surgeon, a CRNA. Uh, FRSTs are coded for an orthopedic surgeon, but we plan to replace those with a surgical PA. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, we think that surgical PAs will be better uh, assists in the abdomen than orthopedic surgeons, according to the surgeons we've uh, talked with. Also, we are looking to recruit soft qualified PAs or PAs with soft experience to be the team leaders of, uh, of these units of action. Um, additionally, uh, these organizations are going to have an emergency physician 
an emergency nurse, and a critical care nurse. And last, uh, but not least, certainly, uh, we uh, these organizations would be manned with three special operations combat medics in each 10 PACS team. Uh, the way we uh, foresee kind of the training concept is that the officers and clinicians will be embedded in the trauma centers, basically, you know, uh, with duty at those locations where they will practice, uh, live, and practice the majority of their time. Um, the SOCOMs are going to be stationed here at Fort Bragg, and they will be they will be responsible to be the tactical experts. At various points throughout the training cycle, um, the SOCOMs will join the clinicians at the level one trauma centers for you know MPT kind of training, but like far greater than the you know two weeks per two years. Um, and likewise, the officers will come back up to Fort Bragg to practice uh, tactical training and to uh, you know conduct field exercises, uh, jump out of airplanes, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, with very limited capability, but not no capability. Right. You know, uh, you know, one of our challenges would be to communicate these capabilities to the combatant commander um, so that they know when they take one surgeon and one CRNA that they can only take care of one critical patient, right. for example. Um, that's much different than taking a, you know, a, the full fa a five pack surgical package um, on operations, which will be able to take care of, you know, two to three critical patients, you yeah. know, perform two to three operations. Uh, it's just, it's, you know, as we increase our cubit weight, right. uh, our capabilities will increase as well. Right. Okay. Excellent. Hey, thank you very much. That's it for today's podcast. Be sure to go to our website, www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. Out.